What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Fortitude Radio. We are um, filming another guest episode today. We got Brandon and Keith from Body Activation. Uh, I'm hooked up with these guys going through the Strong Coach last year. Get to uh, got to rather reintroduce or ourselves um, going through and lifted level two. So you guys are very interested in. I imagine that we share some similar personal values in the vein of personal development, continued growth. And I'd love to get some context from you guys on, you know, what got you to that point? Why the strong coach? Why Enlifted? That's uh, that's a great question. You want to start with that? Sure. Um, So what kind of got us involved uh, with the strong coach initially was actually Keith going to um, a conference. Was it maybe five years ago now in Toronto in Toronto that uh, Mike put on with Doug Larson and a couple other guys, Marcus Gersey. Yeah. Marcus was in that, in that. um, And it was more at the time it was more centered around CrossFit gyms, but at the same time, like we were big fans of like barbell shrug and, you know, barbell business. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to really have their stuff together. And we were kind of at that point where it's like, okay, what's the next step for us and how can we take our business to the next level? So Keith actually went up and, um, went to that conference and was really blown away by a lot of stuff that they presented uh, at that conference. And that's kind of, that was our first introduction to Mike, really. Um, and it was more Keith even than, than me. Well, it was interesting in Toronto because, you know, it, right around that time, like Brandon and I, when we first started, right, um, he comes from a background of, of sports science and um, athletics strength coach uh, style. He's got his master's in biomechanics, right? I went the route of exercise and sports science in school and went right into the field in Florida at uh, International Performance Institute, IPI in Florida, Bradenton, Florida, where I wanted to work with uh, elite level athletes, right? And I wanted to be involved with professional sports because at one point in time I, I wanted to be a professional athlete, right? It was just like the dream of all the other, all the other boys of, of our town was like, okay, like play a collegiate sport and maybe just win the lottery and play a professional sport, which was like the dream, right? And um, when um, he was in his route of of figuring out um, the, the ins and outs of that game, right? Cause he went the route of uh, major league baseball and I'll let him tell you about that background. Yeah. I was going through my stuff with, um, meeting up with some really interesting professionals that I had researched and I was fortunate enough to get involved with, like I was in the thick of learning speed from a, a man who's still one of the top speed coaches in the world, Lawrence Seagrave. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a guy named Pete Bomarito as my mentor of strength, along with Matt Winning, who was uh, second of all time in powerlifting as, uh, as a colleague, right, to learn 
conjugate methods of West Side. Uh, Justin Cecil, who is with them at Ball State, because they all have Ball State University ties. And I got a chance to um, meet up with the, one of the founders of endocrinology and exercise and sports science, Dr. Kramer, Dr. William J. Kramer, who was our, um, he was our sports science um, advisor for the business that we had created outside of IPI. So all these roots brought together the basics of, of fundamental exercise and the, um, the, the culmination of when soft tissue work was starting to uh, evolve into exercise with Mike Clark and NASM. When they first got off the ground, they would come to IPI and Mike Clark would show all of this post functional movement screen stuff saying, oh, you may want to look at these things. So all of a sudden there was this flood of a whole bunch of different modalities, different ideas on how to train athletes and, and that was the first six years of, of my career, right? I went back to school for massage therapy. Instead of going for my master's, I went to get a certification in body work so I could actually do hands-on work like other therapists would do. And uh, stumbled upon to 42 different modalities and then eventually muscle activation techniques where I was like, man, I, I really boned up in that six years on different ideas on how to work with the human body. And then all of a sudden life happened, right? It was like, I had my uh, five-year wedding anniversary and I was like, this is awesome. Getting ready for NFL combine. We averaged 150 NFL vets every single year, right? We had 10% of the NFL combine religiously coming through our place. We had the for the four years in a row of our inaugural um, combine prep, we had the fastest time at the NFL combine every single year. For the first four years of our existence as a company at perfect competition when Pete and I first kicked it off. And then I uh, got a call after an awesome trip to Puerto Rico that my father stopped breathing. He had been early diagnosed with ALS. Everything stopped and I stopped which was interesting in retrospect, where it was like, what am I doing? You know, and, and as we're, we're um, Brian and I were meeting in the same place, we realized that, you know, do we want to work the normal life of a strength coach? Where even at the level of working with elite level athletes, your time like we just, we chose to give our time away at a very low cost. And we thought like that would be, or I thought, I'm going to speak for Brandon. So I thought that that would, that would give me, uh, like, I'd feel really good about it. Like that was my purpose, right? Was to like watch these people perform at their peak. And, and I really, at that moment was like, mom, my, my purpose was really about family. And I'm like, man, like here goes my family. So my father was luckily, luckily enough able to pull out of a 288 carbon dioxide count without brain damage, pulled out of it, right? And I got, what, another 
four months with him, right? Which was fantastic. I was on autopilot. Like I was in survival mode and I realized when we're going through this stuff that well, I was like, man, there's 13, that was 13 years ago. I had been stuck in that, like I had grieved. I had like, I was stuck in that for 13 years and it all started the language stuff and the idea of understanding that was all happening was the start of Toronto when we were in Toronto and we we're starting this whole idea of what do you want like what are you doing and it was funny because I would literally like my brain would glitch I'm like I help with elite level athletes but I really care about people who who are like that can't help themselves or are having trouble helping themselves and and then <laughs> I had to take a step back and like is what I'm doing really what I think it's doing. And I mean, it needed to shift. It really needed to shift. And I, I had this opportunity to learn from a couple of other people, um, namely a guy named Greg Mack that had a completely separate system in 2013 that helped me connect a lot of the dots who still and who runs a fantastic system of language, of, um, dealing with the human system and looking at things from what a lot of other exercise professionals like don't even know exist. There's a whole nother layer of things that exist that are completely looked beyond because of, you know, in exercise and sports science school, we're, you know, in college, we're, we're taught how to do exercises. We're learning traditionally about taking a test passing the test to get good grades and hopefully getting a good internship where you get real experience or if you're fortunate enough you get a GA position where you get that experience where you're doing what other people tell you to do instead of processing the stuff for yourself and learning right off the bat of how to take care of this system and take care of your mind at an early age. And that's what led me to realize that that is our, that was my purpose. My purpose is to connect at early age for my children, how to take care of this body as soon as you can learn about it in a, in a, in a way where you see and feel a difference and can connect that to your mind and how you take care of that for the rest of your life, which is a very ownership mentality practice so that's that's really the backstory of of me and eventually like our our meeting was was even crazier as far as how we uh, it was almost serendipitous it, it, it was like fate collided at one specific point in time and and we've been um we've really been business partners um pretty much ever since we, we met, you know, like we had a long conversation and, and um, it, it was just incredible how it all came together. So it, it it's, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride so far. Yeah. I think it, it was just one of those things where we both had very similar career tracks at the beginning. Um, you know, we both got into professional sports in, in the sense of 
you know, uh, almost entering in at the highest level to start with, right? You're just getting, you're, you're, you're getting thrown to the wolves almost, right? And um, it was one of those things where it was great, right? It's like, I had the opportunity to play division one athletics. Um, and again, kind of like Keith, you know, going into it with the aspirations of playing professionally, but I got hurt. Um, and that kind of, uh, ruined my, any chance that I had, or I thought that I had of playing professionally. And at that time, you know, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do because everything up until that point was wrapped up into Brandon, the athlete and not anything else. Right. And, uh, you know, I got fortunate, you know, being at a, at a good school, around good people with that, you know, help me with that decision and kind of, you know, Hey, if you can't play, maybe, you know, you can work on the performance side type of thing. And I was, I was an exercise science major cause I enjoyed that, um, uh, in, in college, but I never really had any anticipation, anticipation of using it. Mm -hmm. Like I always thought, Hey, I'm going to go play pro ball. Like, then I'll figure it out when I have to retire. Right. Well, unfortunately I had to retire like during my playing career in college. Uh, so that never worked out, but the transition to then working with athletes seemed fairly seamless. It was like, Oh, well, this is, this is a good next step. Right. Um, so that's what I did. That's how I got into doing what I was doing and I loved it. And it was a lot of fun. And then I met a, met a girl and you know how that can work sometimes and uh, went from traveling all over the place and working in professional baseball to moving to Wisconsin, a place that I honestly had never been in my life. So, you know, go from working with some of the best athletes in the world on a daily basis to then coming back where quite honestly, like Wisconsin isn't exactly the hotbed for professional oh, athletes. You know right? it is. Uh, so, you know, that, that transition for me was tough. Um, it was tough in the sense of, you know, now I'm working with athletes, but they're mostly high school, college, you know, and I carved out a niche for myself. Um, and I did like, I enjoyed it, but I also had to fill my times up with regular people because like, high school athletes go to school during the day. So like, what are you going to do all day long while they're sitting in class? Um, so I started working with regular people. Well, when I was with the Royals, I was actually doing a lot of our uh, post rehab stuff. So it was kind of like, um, I would take the guys that were coming off injury that had been cleared and then trying to get them back into game shape, right? So getting them back to where they could then get sent to whether they were a minor league guy getting sent to an affiliate or whether they're one of the big league guys that we would send back to Kansas city at the time. Right. So I had a lot of experience working with our ATCs and our PTs and things like that. Um, and what I found very interesting when I moved back here and started working with normal, like everyday people is shit doesn't work as well. Right. It's like the things that we would do to get guys back off certain things just weren't working like they were working with those guys. And for a long time, like I had a hard time understanding 
why isn't this working? Like, why, why does, do these people not react the same way that these pro guys were doing? And so I started to question a lot of the things that I had learned, question a lot of things that I'd been doing to the point where before I met Keith, like I had actually looked into going back to physical therapy school. So I kind of figured, Hey, you know, I've kind of maxed out what I can do as a quote unquote trainer. Like maybe I need to go back and get another skill set to be able to actually like help some of these people that I'm not able to help. Right. Um, that are in limbo land. They're not mm-hmm. PT, but they're not quite ready to train. And I'm not really good enough at this point to, to bridge that gap. And during that time is when I met Keith and I just happened to, to meet him through my best friend when he left Florida, took his job. Mm. So it just so happens like, what are the chances, right? Yeah, I can't, like I'm, that, I'm going back to, I went back to Florida. Like, this is literally, I don't know. Cause like uh, perfect competition was in Florida. I flew back to Wisconsin when my father was, would had recovered you know so during that time um it was right about to to be in our busiest season like when nfl combine comes around and major league baseball is here nhl and then we have all of our youth so it's like it's crazy and i told them i'm like i'm i'm gone i'm done Hmm. you're what and i'm like yeah so this guy comes in named lee fioki and and he's like, well, can you, can you be here for a month to train Lee on, on how to do this stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll see what my wife says. Now, my wife is, at the time, I look back on it. And you, you know, when you look back and you're like, man, yeah, Keith, you used to be a dickhead, right? Yeah. So she is... When my, well, when my father was in the hospital, right, and we didn't know he was going to pull out, I get a call because my wife had flown back to Florida because she still had to work, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go back to work. I'm in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. She calls me back, bawling. I'm like, well, what's going on? She's like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, that's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm like, I'm like we, we don't have a place to live. You know, I don't really have a job right now, but... <laughs> this is awesome like this and we we wanted we wanted to have a child together and we're like if it's if it's going to happen it's going to happen she's like she's a type 1 diabetic and the first thing that her physician said was well you should map out a route to the emergency room because your blood sugars were off you're going to have a miscarriage mm-hmm. so she was wound up right upregulated and i'm like do we know that for sure? Yeah, what a fucking shitty thing. Yes, right. right? So it was this beam of light during this time, right? Yeah. She comes back. Fortunately enough, she acquires a job in Milwaukee from the same company, right? So I take on a part-time job where, like, the first part of like, I can't do this um, coming up right away. I'm going to go back to Florida for a month to train this guy. So she's like, Jen's now like a couple months pregnant and literally setting up an entire household by herself for a month so that I can help out Brandon's friend Lee 
and then I come back and I get this phone call from Lee saying, because Lee is a really nice, calm, collect. he's so calm and collective. Keith, uh, I have a friend that's going to be calling you. And he's a, he's a, he's with the Royals. He's a nice guy. Just, just look for a call. Right. So it's, and I'm like, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, my father passes away that December and I lose it. I was gone. I was out of it. Right. I mean, losing the only way that anyone can relate is if they ever lose, lose a parent that they're close with. Right. So I lost it. And I would say a month, maybe this guy leaves a message on my phone. I'll call him back. Leaves another message. Don't call him back. Cause I really, I would, I went to work part-time came back home and like was preparing for this child. Right. And then my uncle passes away and I'm like his brother. I'm like, okay. So, and then a year to the day, my grandfather passes away all within that same year. I'm just like, okay, this is, this is crazy. And then my daughter's born. Right. I'm like, this is fantastic. The third time he tries to call, he's like, this is the last time I'm calling back. Great, <laughs> great move. Like that's move number one that I would say anyone should do because the fear of missing out. And I was like, okay, I got to call this guy. <laughs> right yeah. after that, I'm like, I got to call this guy. So we, we get an opportunity to, to talk, uh, meet at a, at a local, at a, a local restaurant for, for coffee and some lunch. We talked for three hours, like three and a half hours. We like missed a client, right? I was like, oh crap. Like and he missed a client and, and it was, it was really cool to connect with somebody that like really I could relate with. And we were almost, we were in a place almost simultaneously dealing with same amounts of heavy. <laughs> so it just felt like it was meant it was really meant to be at that point gut feeling you know it was the first time really like i'd been around anybody that i could relate to on a professional level as well since i moved here because you know it just you don't really run into a, a a bunch of people that have had the opportunities that we have had sure. up until this point and then you come back and you're working with a, a lot of this like a, a lot of similar clients and you're having similar struggles. Like nobody could understand the struggles that we were going through because, you know, we saw the changes that we were making in these elite level guys. And that doesn't really happen the same way in normal people. And like, he was struggling with those things as much as I was. Right. And we we're just looking for answers. Whereas most people are just content being where they're at or, Oh, okay. Well, I can only do so much Here you go. where, you know, him and I were just like, we're, there's gotta be something missing. Like what is missing? Like we got to find something, right? Well, that's and, the gap, you know, that's the gap that we've been talking about. You know, the, the gap is or like what, what, what we've noticed and what I've noticed for sure has been, okay. The gap in, in my knowledge base of the, of the basics of physiology of, the nervous system of relationships, the gaps of what 
like, okay, what am, what am I missing? And what have I overlooked? And that in itself has happened on two levels. It's happened on a physical level and it's happened on a language level, which they're both two separate language systems, right? The language of body, body language, and the language of communication, which manifests itself as these like gestures and words and speech and dialogue, right? So that really gravitated towards a lot of what, what we've been what we've been researching and in, in neck deep in for the past 20 years. You know, it really is this quest of figuring out, okay, is it really this type of problem that everyone's saying it's about when it comes to like pain, right? And or um, inability, like you lose the ability to do something that you believe you should do or could do. How long has it been since you've been able to do this thing? Have you ever been able to do that? Because it may be your reality that you've been living for how many decades with how much how many decades of rewiring of the internal communication and how is that communication expressed and how are we observing it to see how it's changing and how it relates to how they feel about it. So to be clear, you're, the gap that you're describing is the difference between where the client is or where they come to you at, where they want to be. That can is that be. accurate? Well, that, that can be, right? Because okay. there's two gaps. There's the gap of the client and there's our gap, right? Because those gaps have to be in unison with the unified direction, right? It has to have a certain vector to them. Otherwise, if they're not going congruent, then there's this, I, I was expecting this thing, I'm getting this thing, mm. this thing's happening. I'm not sure about that. Instead of, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk to somebody, find out exactly what they're hoping to have happen, what they've been dealing with, and then flush out all the things that have happened to them so that we have an idea of how long they've been in this thing how many years of rewiring through either trauma or, or rewiring from an old event that had hurt them or surgery or expectation, right? Like they didn't meet an expectation, so they've done nothing and then done everything and then done nothing and then done everything. Like what is their situation? Mm -hmm. So that from there, we can actually have a plan with baselines, measurable baselines, and make sure that the plan is something that we want to do together mm. because if it's not something we want to do together it's something that i want and they don't want that's a problem if it's something that they want and i can't do or it's out of my wheelhouse then they're in the wrong place so and we have a better understanding now of what we really do it's like man we we understand intercommunication of the muscle system with the nervous system and how the joints are functioning so that we can see how that changes on a daily basis with somebody. And now we understand that dialogue that comes along with it even better to see all the prepackaged stuff that's in your brain that can help you heal can influence the entire system. 
which is which has been phenomenal because like the idea of how the brain already comes prepackaged with an amazing pharmacy of things that can help mitigate pain, that can help your gestures, that can help with your posture, that can help bring attention to the things that are either beneficial or go the opposite way, right? And have the plasticity go in a different direction or the plasticity to heal and change, right? Which has been so rewarding to see how that it the challenge has been rewarding but it's also been fun like mm. that's a playground every day is new every session every hour is new because every person is constantly a moving target because they're made of trillions of cells that are communicating with each other at every moment in time it is amazing the body is simply insane did you guys read the talent code? Yeah. yeah. What's what's your thoughts on the uh, the myelin wrapping neurons? Oh, I mean, there's there's definitely something to it, right? Ogliodendrocytes. Uh, but uh, you know, I think our role is to put people in the best possible place to learn and to be safe, right? Um, and I think the biggest challenge that we face as exercise professionals is where is that line? Like, where's the, where's the line for some people? Like, um, when you get a client that walks through the door and you have a baseline assessment, is that baseline assessment actually too much for the current condition of your client? Sure. And if it is, how do you, how do you modify that? Right. And then if, if you get all this information from this assessment, what the hell do you do with it? Is it even accurate? Like, where do you start, right? And I think that's the biggest, biggest thing that you run into is how do you define a starting point for a lot of people? Right? How do you identify if it's accurate? You had mentioned, is it even accurate? Yeah, see, like this is, this is the route of when we talk about um, sensation, right? The sensorum, what are you feeling Right. And what's what's one of the major questions that we ask when we're doing story work? Like, where do you feel this in your body? Right. Mm -hmm. How many times are we asking that when we do part of an exercise, mm -hmm. part of an isometric hole, part of a movement? Right. Where do you feel that in your body? And is that the same as the other side? What do you feel is normal? Right. And as we're doing this, like basics of especially for, for exercise professionals or people that are doing exercise, I like, this goes right down the pain route, which is, or any sensation, it's a biopsychosocial model that was coined by Melzack, right? Melzack and Wall. So they had this idea that our physiology, that our psychology and that how we relate to our environment, our social environment, is all put together with this concept of the sensations that we feel and how we feel about ourselves, which is the cornerstone of pain, right? So there's another guy, and I'm going to relate this to one other little simple thing, which is the idea of phantom pain, right? So this guy who is amazing, did work at a university of 
Madison, right? B.S. Ramachadan is the inventor of something called a mirror box. So people that were amputees at one point in time or born without a limb could get rid of pain in a non-existent limb by using, by seeing another limb and somebody like stroking the hand, right? That they saw that was reflected. So they believed that this image was on this opposite side, right? What he said was profound. He said, there's only phantom pain. We are the phantom. Our representation of our entire body is embedded into our nervous system, maps of who we are. And our nervous system is trillions of cells, which means very simply that one part of the system can affect any other part of the system. That's the definition of a system. So if I have, if I have a finger that's not working well, my neurological representation of how my finger works or what part of it not working, is it the, the bending of it, right? Or the, the angle that goes smaller, or is it the angle that gets larger that my expectation is that that should be that thing and it matches with my subconscious expectation of that thing, right? So any of that can affect any response at any point in time, which means that anyone that's deconditioned, if you decided to move your toes better, it's gonna help. If you're going to learn how to bend your finger better, it could help. We have people that literally, when they get better at laying on their back and going through abduction, that was difficult before because they were sitting up and they were trying to lift it to gravity, but now they're on their back and it's sliding on a table, completely shifts everything and they can do it. It's like, oh, and now their concept has changed about themselves. The range of motion has changed. The symmetry of sensation has changed. The energetics of the area has changed because it's not just cardio, right? It's not just resistance training. It's like, okay, every single nerve is changing over its mitochondria and its sensitivity. It's being tuned at a cellular level with every single cell of that thing. And then how you relate to that, the map of that is if you're going to feel a sensation or pain or fatigue, sure. feel good, or you feel free, or feel excited, which then goes right up to our reticular activating system. So we create these expectations for things like movement patterns in our brains first, right? My arm should be able to do this. And any deviation from the expectation equates sometimes to pain. I would say if the map, like Daniel Kahneman said, there's system one and system two that are constantly overlapping each other. System one would be like your, the majority of life, non-conscious. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much crap going on, trillions of cells talking to each other, linking up, cross-talking at any point in time. Like this part gets hooked, I'm gonna rewire this way. So, okay, here's my representation in these cells or your nervous system of what I can do, here's what I wanna do, 
and it doesn't line up. Protection, tightness, pain. Mm. Oh, this side feels strong. I feel forever. This side, oh man, I can barely move. So what do we want to do? I really want to stretch this thing. Like this is how far off we are in the fitness community, right? Think about this. Why would we call something a stretch? It legitimately makes very little sense. Have you ever stretched a plastic bag or a steak? If you could stretch your fascia, if you could, because it has the tensile strength of steel, would it dent and be permanently deformed? Like if you stretched a steak by malleting it? And do you want to permanently deform your tissue or Instead of getting more flexible, would you want to get more coordinated so you can get to better coordinates? The whole point is knowing exactly where you are in space, feeling where you are in space, so you have comfort where you are in space and you can control your expectations of the challenges of life in space. And we're still stuck on trying to squeeze out and mallet and stretch when the coordination and the language, man, how many people do you know feel sick to their stomach when they break up with a significant loved one? Or when I lost my father, man, I was physically ill from my internal dialogue, right? There's all the people that are in immense pain that they'll take a, take a picture of that joint. And there's, they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong. I'm like, thank God. And they get up and they like limp away, right? I'm okay. Mm. So what's going on with that, right? How do we become more coordinated so our subconscious or our non-conscious lines up with our conscious and we get more coordinated to control that in a joint by joint or total body level. And we're capable of zooming in, satellite view, zoom in, satellite view consistently as we're asking them, how do you feel with this? Instead of just assuming that it feels awesome, right? There's definitely something there to the stories. Uh, my mind goes to, you know, having previous clients who were diagnosed with disc degeneration, right? Mm -hmm. And how many of those clients live up to that diagnosis? All of them, almost all of them, right? And it's, there's like, they get that diagnosis and it almost becomes, it, be, it not almost, more like it becomes the thing. It's the reason that they can't do X, Y, and Z. Yep. When the more accurate, and I'm going to butcher the statistics. I imagine you guys probably have these um, wired in your brains. <laughs> I love something it. to the effect of, uh, you know, by the age of 40, 30% of adults have some form of disgeneration. By the age 70, it's upwards of 80%. Is that relatively accurate? Well, there's a bulge. It's a little lower. Actually, a bulge is 80% by 30. Okay. So the chances of you going to a doctor and getting 
Having pathology. Having pathology yeah. off of a scan is, yeah, 80% chance over the age of 30. That I have right. a bulging disc. Some sort, right? Something yeah. that, right. That, it, that is enough to where you would be labeled from a pathology standpoint, right? Got it. Doesn't mean you have pain. Exactly. Just means that there's enough degeneration that now you can be labeled with a pathology. And I believe that was uh, JAMA uh, 1994 that that was, that that was a study from with, uh, I think it had over 500 participants that had zero back pain, right? And they handed the, the results to spinal surgeons to ask what they thought of these scans. And it was like 80% of them had, had some sort of disc deformation, 12% of them were supposedly um, operable, right? Because it was so bad it should be operated on. And they did not tell the, the surgeons that all these people were, were non-pathological. Asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, yeah, so yeah. asymptomatic. Yeah, so it, it's crazy. And it, it, is, it doesn't just stop with back pain. It's like how many times you'd be at a client walk in and say, well, I can't do this because like I've got arthritis in my knee and you can't do anything about that. Right. It's just always going to hurt the rest of my life. Right. Yep. And they're very, very good at living up to that diagnosis. Right. Like they built their whole life around it now and their stories are centered around it. So the idea of like, again, for us is number one, like how do we get on the same level with that person? Right. And until going through the enlifted stuff, mm -hmm. Truly, that was a difficult conversation, right? It was very, very difficult to try to meet that person where they were. And a lot of times it really took just a lot of faith on their ability, you know, up front to let us work through their body enough to get them out of that, right? But we did it from a physical standpoint, not from a language standpoint, because we didn't have the skill set at that point. Whereas now that process is easier and it's faster because we can meet them where they're at with their language right so we could work on that at the same time as working on the physical issues that may be leading to this thing we call pain in this arthritic knee right um, because I can tell you what man like I can't tell you how many clients I have that have severe arthritis in their knees that have no knee pain right hell I don't even want to look at what my knees look like <laughs> under a scan. Um, and I can tell you, you know, it's like I was a college athlete. I played at a very high level. By the time I got out of college, I was broken, like broken. And I think part of getting into doing some of the things that we do ultimately is a strategy to help yourself, right? Is, hey, how if I learn this, maybe I can help the problems that I'm currently dealing with at the same time as helping other people. And part of why I got into this was so that I would feel better. You know, by the time I got out of school, like my body felt like shit, like my knees hurt. I had a reconstructed elbow. My shoulder was fucked up. Like it was just a constant management of things, right? To the point where 26 years old, like I couldn't train the way I wanted to train because my body didn't allow it. I couldn't train the way I was taught 
that was good for you because every time I did, I suffered, right? And it wasn't until, honestly, him and I got together and we started playing around with different ideas that, you know, I can honestly say at 42 years old, I'm in better shape than I was at 26. Like I move better at 42 than I did at 26. I, you said, I train harder. You said two things that, that really stood out too, man. It's like the idea of, you know, a client or someone that enjoys moving around already having this idea of the language that says, I can't, right? I, I can't do this. There's nothing you can do about this. There's nothing you, the projection, you can do about this. And, and, and it's really interesting to see like, well, what, what can you do? What can I do? What can you do? Let's write down what you can do, right? What feels safe? What is, okay, if you do this thing, how does the rest of you feel when you do this thing? And it's going to start nice and slow. What do you feel okay with, right? And then it's like, oh, if I know that this person has pain in a hip that is perfectly fine, I know what the materials are like in that hip. I just know the information going to that hip is a little messed up, right? So I know it's like, okay, if there's a pain signal that's coming from somewhere else to that hip, right? Because we all know that, well, pain isn't coming from the hip. There's signals going to your nervous system back to the hip. So let's, let's figure out what you can do and feel okay with it, right? And it's like, secondly, what Brandon talked about, it's the norm for, for training. It's like, yeah, I loved exercise because I was like, man, I like being... Uh, I like the way it feels. I like the way my body was aesthetically looking, how it performed, right? And so I went to school for it to see like how I could do this for a long time, only to realize that I was completely breaking down from what was even supposed to be this elite level style of training that people were doing amazing with. At, the, at that level, it was like, oh, these people are running super fast. They're feeling good. You know, this is how you train at that level to feel good for the rest of your life. And then when you got to somebody that was like, we were starting to be, you know, it's like after the age of 26, 27, things, things heal differently for everyone else on the planet, right? Who's not the 0.05% that ends up being an elite athlete. So, okay. How do we work with ourselves? Because now this is what everyone's dealing with. This is the majority. These are the people that are fed up with the traditional style gym class because guess what? Sports are not healthy. They're not even exercise. They're activities that we may enjoy, right? And they're activities that can give us fulfillment, but exercise by definition are, I'm trying to do a specific challenge to get a specific result. That's exercise ability, language exercises, math exercises, physical exercise. So what is our baseline? What are we challenging? And how is it relating to our expectation of how we wanna feel and feel about ourselves, our level of agency? right? Then that really hit home, which is like, man, 
do I really understand how I'm observing another human going through this thing or myself, or am I on autopilot because these things are, these exercises, these choreographed things are supposed to have this result so I can I can I can just put it on all a pilot for a little bit and I can focus on these things. I can count the reps. For and count, you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right. Like, sets of, sets of 10. We do yes. we do everything in sets of 10. That's over. You know, it like even the idea of seeing the progression of of assessments, right? It's like if we're looking at something like a FMS or you're looking at like a single leg squat or you're looking at an ankle mobility. There's fucking 55 articulations in your foot alone. You're telling me exactly how you are supinating or pronating or like what joint is sliding on what without like an x-ray machine as you're going through it. And then what muscles are going to control each one of those articulations at what point in time? I'm like, you are, you're a Superman or Superwoman. Like great luck on doing that. And then making some sort of idea like you should feel great right now because you get 25 degrees of dorsiflexion i'm like like wake up and like how do you know how many degrees they're supposed to have because their skeleton may be completely different than the other person full of right. bone spurs and and how like how do you know so then it's our job to custom fit this stuff to relate and listen and match up and meet people where they're at so they can live their lives the way they want to live their life, right? And, and what we feel as practitioners responsible for and what we're okay with being responsible for. Because most, most people just want to do stuff, right? Like sure. you want to be able to, to leave the gym. Like we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, right? Like with your transition to where, you know, you went from being like CrossFit to more like, just understanding meeting people where they're at because the idea that you're getting broken down from the one thing that's supposed to allow you to go out and do all the other things you want right, right. and that's what people want people want to be able to go for walks with their husbands or their wives they want to be able to take a bike ride they want to be able to play with their kids they want to do all these things outside of the gym and they don't want the gym breaking them down right sure. but we have this whole connotation built around you have to train like an athlete no dude athletes have to retire they have to retire yeah why are we training like that you're Mm. training to retire from life at an early age right people want to feel better so your job as an exercise professional is to make them feel better so that they can do the things they actually like doing which usually isn't two hours you know every other day in the gym Right. People don't want to be in the gym five days a week, especially if five days a week is kicking the shit out of them, right? Yeah. They want to come to the gym to have somebody give them enough that makes them feel better when they walk out the door than when they walked in so that now when they go to play with their kids, they don't have to worry about blowing their back up. They don't have to worry about picking themselves off the ground because they can barely stand up because their knees hurt so bad or I don't want to take that 20 minute walk with my wife. Cause I know if I do, I'm going to come back and have to sit in a chair for an hour. Mm-hmm. Like those are the struggles that people are going through that. I don't think we're doing a, a good enough job as exercise professionals, meeting those people where they're at. Right. We have this idea in our head that if I get them stronger, 
you'll be able to do these things. Well, actually, a lot of times you're the one that's actually pouring gasoline on the fire. Because yeah, we were. We were pouring gasoline on the fire. And we, we did the same thing. You know, right? and what really gets, what, what, what adds to that, right, is this idea of, okay, where are these people at? What do they want? What do they want to do? From there, it's like, okay, if I'm now like my, my wife, we want to go on a trip, right? Be able to handle a car ride. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go on a car ride and all of a sudden your neck is blown out and you can't go on this trip with your family or do the normal things of every single day, I'd say the majority of people deal with a ton of limitations that they just don't want to talk about. They, they're ashamed to talk about. They're ashamed that when they have babies that they maybe pee a little bit, right? Right. Then and, and guys that that like maybe they wake up a whole bunch of times and they're so deconditioned. They're so deconditioned because they've been trying to exercise and the starting point, like Brandon said, is too high. So then they stop and then they're like, well, you should be able to do this baseline thing. And all of a sudden, like, I can't even do that. I give up. I give up. I go to gym class. I give up. When have we ever learned the basics of how to take care of this thing, right? I mean, I, I learned in health class, like how not to get an STD. And then I'm probably going to die of cardiovascular disease or a stroke or something like that cancer. someday, right? Cancer. But it's like, when was it like, okay, here's the fundamentals of what happens if you stop moving your body. Here's what happens. Oh, here's what happens if you build up joint inflammation and here's what arthritis is. Here are the stages of arthritis. Oh, here's what happens when your body has trouble processing insulin because of factors towards losing skeletal muscle. Here's the percent of energy that goes to skeletal muscle versus your brain. Here's how you take care of your brain because it talks to all of your skeletal muscle. And when you lose the ability to move, your mental capacity and state and how you feel goes down drastically, which all happens past the age of around 20, if you do nothing. Where is that course? How are we teaching our children? How are we as parents putting that out there, giving our kids the tools on number one, how to deal with the victim mentality, right? How to empower themselves, which then goes back to having pride with their body and how they move rather than the sports they are performing because gym is still built around sports instead of exploring movement and exploring how you feel around movement. Big you wanna, problem. You wanna know why people, less than 5% of the population work out? It's gym class. Mm. right because if you're young and you go to gym class and you're the last one always picked for these sporting activities bad experience. At, at a young age you have a bad experience and now you equate gym class sports sucked at so exercise is bad right like who as an adult is going to pick something that they sucked at and they got made fun of as a child, who's going to pick to do that as they get older when they actually have a choice, right? It makes no sense. That so, makes me 
that makes me think of the uh, the climbing the rope in front of everybody or doing the pull-ups in front of everybody, right? right. Not yeah. being able to do that. And right. uh, what sort of experience did you have? And now, fuck gym class. Right. Because mm-hmm. how many people did you go to high school with when you had to take like your semester of gym class? All the guys, like most of the guys were like super stoked for gym class. Yeah. I didn't know many girls that were super stoked for it outside sure. of the really good athletes. You know, every other girl tried everything under the sun to get the hell out of gym class. Like, no from their doctor, no from their mom, like however they could get out of it, they tried to get out of it, right? So it's, it's, it had already started. Like how many of those, how many of those people do you think actually then as they became adults started to exercise? Sure. None of them, right? Because again, they've already equated what gym class is to exercise and it's the same thing. Oh, they, they tell me I should exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's good for me if I, if I exercise. So I'm going to go run, right? Even though I don't even walk, yeah. even though I can't stand in place for longer than 60 seconds with something hurting, even though I can't stand on one leg, even though it hurts even to sit down. And when I wake up, I'm stiff all the time maybe like getting better at stopping the bleeding and controlling these body parts when you're laying on your back or laying on your side or standing up or sitting down to see how it changes how you feel to how you move might be beneficial. Well, running is a really interesting one, right? Because we, in my opinion, we all just start running one day. And that's the amount of exposure to how we should run that we get. We just yeah. do it and then everybody accepts, okay, now you can run. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't ever remember being taught the like the pose method, for example, or any sort of posture and position. Hey, this is how you should execute this movement. And we're going to start slow and we're going to take this piece by piece and we're going to introduce you to um, you know, changing weight from one foot to the other under a controlled setting. And we'll yeah. build up to running. You just go out one day and you start doing it. And then everybody's like, all right, class started, go run a 400. Right. It's like the, they fared, they, in class, there's a study by Cybex done in the early 2000s, talked about how much ground reaction force happens at running at six miles an hour on a treadmill right? Two times your body weight in that position in space, right? Chances are it's either going to be heel strike or forefoot strike, right? Two times at only six miles an hour on a treadmill, six, that's like a light jog pace, right? Like a a fast walk for somebody taller. Yeah. So, So we're talking about if you are incapable of holding two times your body weight on one foot, what the hell are you doing running at six miles an hour for multiple repetitions? Sure. Like, and that's get, just basics. You're going to get some sort of a dysfunction up the chain. Anywhere out of how many joints that are transforming energy from your foot all the way through your skeleton. That is wild. Yeah. Cause you start to think about like how many steps do you take on a two mile run? Holy crap, dude. That's a fast. Like, it's it's quick. It adds up really quick, right? And then you've got the magic number of 10,000. 
<laughs> 10,000 yeah. steps. Like you do 10,000 steps and magically your health turns into something that's completely <laughs> different, right? Well, what about my clients that have multiple hip replacements or, you know, multiple joint replacements? Like you think that that's good for somebody who got gout already is at a disadvantage. Now you're going to go tell that person to go wear the, you know, the one remaining joint they have left out, you know, like it, it makes absolutely no sense, but yet, you know, people have been brainwashed to think that, right. They come in and what we ask people all the time, what's your exercise history? Like what, what do you do for exercise? I walk. That's not exercise. What do you mean? It's not exercise. It's an activity. Walking can be taken away from you. It's not given. It can be taken away. Does walking build muscle? No, does not. Is it a specific strategic thing that's applied to the body that will elicit a positive change? No, just like biking. It's an activity. It's not exercise. Why? Because it's not specific to you. It's not a specific challenge that is centered around a positive change in your body, in your overall health, right? As we get older, no matter what happens, we lose two to 3% of our strength every year, right? So if we're losing strength, we're also losing muscle mass over that. When, Even when if does we, that start? That can start as early as was it 40? 41, 40, 40 to 42. It, 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 it's a, it depends on whether it's aerobic, like this aerobic capacity or overall strength. Right. Um, but on average, we're going to lose two to two to 3% every year, let's say around 40 years old. Okay. And that that's assuming that you maintain what you're doing. So if you're doing nothing and you start to train, you can actually slow that process down. Right. But if you're training at a high level, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be more adaptive but you're still going to lose. Like that's why there comes a point in time in any athlete's career, especially when you, when you look at high level endurance athletes that they start to drop down in their training, can't keep up with the decline, right? That's why they end up having to retire. The training has to get so much more aggressive to meet the demands of them naturally losing every year that now they have to push themselves to the point where they get hurt. And then they can't, they can't maintain that level anymore. Well, that happens to us as regular individuals. We just don't see the decline so fast until now we're 65 years old and all of a sudden I can't do anything. Well, like, there's, there's, you know, there's something that's really interesting, right? And this, this sounds ridiculous because it just, I mean, literally, if you said, okay, you got a knee replacement and or hip replacement and you're going out and you're doing all these repetitions on it, right? This material doesn't heal, right? It just wears. And, and that's the reason why a lot of these like hip replacements now, they're not, they change how their, their, their composition so that when they have to put a new one in, you don't see all the shavings of the material inside the socket. Right, because before they're high high carbonate plastics now and not mm -hmm. metal, because so see it right. in an MRI you would see all the plastic or the, all the metal shavings uh, of this all over the yeah, place. Yeah, because literally it'd just be wearing wearing itself down like 
a material normally wears itself down over time, which makes human joints so so different because there's that 50-50 shot if you haven't injured something that you could actually build the cartilage around it, right? You can mm -hmm. build tendon strength. You can build ligament strength and ability, muscular strength and cross-sectional density. They don't ever talk to the person without legs and say, man, we'll go for a run. Oh, wait a second. You ain't got any legs. I was supposed to run. So you're telling the person who had their legs sawed off to do multiple repetition, wearing things so that this thing is supposed to hopefully last 10 to 20 years. To go further, it's not going to heal. Metal doesn't heal. And the original thing that happened to that joint to cause it to wear out sooner, that information processing gap that we talked about before, still there, that's why it wore out. Or the genetics, it wore out, right? One or the other. So then, oh yeah, and you had it cut out. You had the original problem, you had the original wear, the shotgun blast of trauma, and then also the sawing out of the bone to replace the socket sewn back up, muscles laid up over the top or spread, right? Depending upon the surgery you have or reconnected and drilled, if you got a rotator cuff thing or a lammy where they just saw off your lamina and pull out a piece of bone and lay your back muscles over the top, right? Saw off a piece of disc to make sure your nerves are okay. That's what we're dealing with as far as materials. That's what each one of the people that are with these surgical interventions, which may be necessary, right? Like who knows when somebody needs that type of surgery, but like asking them to do something that is way above the tolerance of what those materials are is negligence within our community. It's complete negligence. And if someone says that, hey, you know, I've had a knee replacement, I should be able to go for this. I'm like, dude, like, I'm glad that is your knee. I'm glad that is your hip. I'm telling you, what we can do is try to have that sucker last as long as possible. Mm. What I hear a lot of times from people who get or are in line to get those things, right, is that's interesting that you say that because it's always about getting back to doing the things that I was doing before, right? And there's no identification or solving for root cause problems, mm. the things that put them in that position in the first place. Right. It's I'm, I'm going to get the knee replacement so I can go back to squatting. Mm -hmm. It's interesting yeah. that you put it that way. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and nobody's saying that, like, if your goal is to have your hip replaced so you can squat again. Right. Nobody's saying that you can't do that. Right. Sure. All we're saying is you may want to try to figure out why the hell you wore that joint out in the first place. Yeah. Before you get something that's new, that's not as good as the old, right? And go back to the shit you were doing that probably led you to where you are in the first place, right? So, right. but now we're dealing with not only the thing that led you there, but now we're also dealing with the surgery because the idea that you're coming out of that surgery better off 
is just not true. Now you might have less pain, right? Because you get a new, new hip. My father-in-law is prime example. Dude could barely walk before he got his hip replacement. His, his joint was so degenerate, degenerative, right? He gets the surgery three days later, he feels better than he has in two years. Right. But if he wants to get back to doing the things that he was doing before and not feel that way 10 years from now, things have to change. Right. He has to address the underlying dysfunction. Right. Exactly. So that's what, that's what we're doing right now. Like, and we're getting to the point where, you know, he's actually moving better now than he probably has in 15 years. And I've only seen him for six weeks, seven weeks. Yeah. Right. So it's like, again, it's, it's not a bad thing to want to do things. It's not a bad thing to want to train hard, but you got to understand that your body has to be in the position to do it. And you only can do the things that you're able to heal from. So I may want to train like a madman, but if I can't heal from it, eventually it's going to catch up to me. Right. Healing from it, healing from it in itself. Right. It's like, what is healing now? You know, you have one of the main reasons that people feel better is because us as trainers, we take for granted, like we, we talk a lot about like eccentric, concentric, isometric, right? Talk a lot about the, the different phases of an exercise. Yeah, we, I didn't use it, right? I didn't use it to its full potential because each one of those things is its own neurological phenomena. You're controlling a lengthening, a lengthening of an angle. It has one neurological control. You have the hold. It's another neurological control because all those muscles are coordinating a joint position, feedback looping at that position and supplying the whole system with information. So it's like, what can that person control? And what are they aware of that they have absolutely what are they unaware that they can control? And can we bring that into conscious control, right? So it becomes about quadrants, like quadrants and lack of control. So it's like, okay, well, this person really sucks at the eccentric point of, of arm abduction or concentric point, or is it a combination of how the whole shoulder, right? Shoulder girdle with the humerus if glenohumeral rhythm is not really moving well through the frontal plane or in any relationship towards protracted, retracted within that now shifted frontal plane, right? There's all these, there's a whole slew of coordinates that can be controlled, but they never practiced it because everything's been here or everything's been, okay, I'm going to work here. Okay, I'm going to do single arm work here or single arm, like, okay, I've only challenged it in a handful of manners at a handful of tempos, there is an infinite amount of tempos. There's an infinite amount of challenges. We have to open our mind. We get, we get to open our mind as practitioners and I get to open my mind out to, okay, if, if this thing is having trouble controlling here, is it about this thing? I'm going to practice that and things aren't really getting better. Well, Maybe there's other parts of the body that aren't being controlled that well. We can work there and maybe it'll actually cross talk to this thing and help it control better later because it's anchored into this other stuff that can help the rest of this 
deal with this better. I'm like, oh, cool. So now that's where, okay, maybe the grip's off because I can't hold the weight better. Mm. But is somebody even taking grip strength side to side to see if like you can hold a weight to even row, right? Just like, just like um, Brandon's father-in-law. It's like, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways that that subconscious mind is protecting ourselves from our stories and from our range of motion that it takes coach to help okay, can we do this? And then the coach has to be at a level where they meet them where they're at. So it's a safe place to start, whether it's with our stories or that, that our language stories or our body stories, our history, our physical history, our trauma, our medication. If we had children, we're in a car accident. Do we play sports? Are we a bookworm? Do I have legs? You know, it's like, what is happening with that person to meet them where they're at, have a baseline, know their vision of where they want to go, and is it feasible within a time frame, right? Is, are we on the same page with this time frame and this expectation so we can go on this journey together? And every time that we meet, we're on the accountability of that timeline and what's going on. The biggest downfall to it is there's no protocol. Mm. So if you're looking for the, the easy answer, it's not there, which is what makes this so fun, but so difficult. And why a lot of, why I feel a lot of people don't want to go down this rabbit hole because now your job becomes hard. Mm -hmm. Now you actually have to think you actually have to make think. decisions. You have to test ideas. And sometimes you're not going to get the result that you want. Sometimes you think you're on the right path, but if you're constantly testing things, sometimes you're going to be wrong and that's okay, right? Just understanding that you come in with a hip replacement, Keith comes in with a hip replacement. I'm looking at you guys completely different. I do not look at you the same way. You will not get treated the same way. You will not get worked with the same way because you're completely different people and your hip replacement, you the way you got to your hip replacement is probably completely different than the way he got to, to his hip replacement. Your injury history is very different than his. Your medical history is different than his. Potential medications that you're taking are different than his that are all going to influence the decision-making process I have to go through to work with you, the individual, right? So that's the unfortunate part about all this and the or fortunate the fortunate part if you want to look at it that way. I understand the difficulty from the practitioner side, right? Or the professional side. Do you notice the same level of difficulty from the client side? Because what do people want? They want certainty. They want to well, know that this thing is going to work. Well, that's, that's really, that's our job as a professional as well. Like, are we layering a process that there is a level of, well, there's going to be a level of trust, right? It's all about trust. And and personally, as, as, um, as a practitioner, it becomes about level of competency in my craft and competence and comfort in that saying, oh, okay, well, what do you have going on? I have my process to be able to understand the decades of wiring that this person has undergone, right? And seeing whether I want to get in a professional relationship with them. I think it's a lot on practitioners to say, hey, you know what? This person may may not be a fit. Mm. 
It's like, it's up to us to see if it's a fit of our wheelhouse. And if we're, if, if it's not a go, or if it's even questionable, like you should be on the side of 80% go, right? Like, Hey, this is because a hundred percent, come on now. Right. Sure. It's like, okay, I, I have a strong feeling that this thing that we're going to do. And as I explain it is about what, what we're going to do and, and what I'm hoping to do, because your needs are this, this, and this, that you want to be able to walk with your husband again. Okay, cool. So if we get to the point where you can walk with your husband again, and we're managing the sensations around that, you're going to be okay with that. Okay. All right. Write it down. Walk with the husband this time. Okay. That's what we're, that's what we're shooting for, right? That's our fundamental objective, right? So as we're putting these together of what it is that we're shooting for, it's like, that's what they want to do. Here's the time frame of the plan that I put together of where I feel their conditioning is at or their ability is at based upon an evaluation that then flushes out data that can give me, that can give me a, um, a baseline. Because I'm looking for symmetry of how people move from side to side, symmetry of strength, side to side, symmetry of sensation, side to side, and then symmetry of endurance, side to side of the body. At least those are the things that I am measuring, right? Along with blood pressure to make sure that like we're in heart rate at one point in time to make sure that their heart is functioning okay, that they're, that they're, they're not gonna like stroke out on us, right? And that the medications that they're on allows these adaptations to even happen because if if they're if they're looking for something and this and these meds chemically already are wiped them out, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really tough. And that's again where the the expectations come in, right? Personalization. Meet, meeting meeting the client where they're at and giving them ideas of hey, if we go on this journey together this is what it's going to look like. Here's, here are the things that you want. Here are the things that we're going to measure to get you there. And this is what that process will look like. So that now the client has a decision, right? You have a decision. Do I actually want to take this journey with this individual? Do I trust them enough to be my guide? Or holy shit, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I'm quite prepared for that yet. No problem. You haven't really done anything up until that point, right? You've spent an hour, probably an hour on the phone with me talking about your medical history and all that stuff. And you've spent an hour coming in to get a bunch of measurements taken. So you're, you're out two hours and maybe 175 bucks, right? Versus, well, I think I'll try that. No, no, no. There is no thinking about trying. There is no trying it. You're either in or you're out. Like, we get to the point where brass tacks, baby, like you either have to make a decision one way or another. It's either a yes or you're out the door. There's no maybe. Maybe I'm going to push you out the door because that's not a good fit for me. Yeah. Right. I can't have a client come in here and say, I want to try it and give me three sessions when I might need 10 just to break the barrier of where they might start feeling better. You know what I'm saying? So 
that whole idea of like, Hey, you've had this back issue for 20 years and I'm going to fix it in two hours. You're nuts. Good luck. Like (laughs) if, if those things don't align, it's like, I'm sorry, man. Like you need to go find somebody that will pump you full of some sort of med because that's not what we do here. Stick needles in you. So at the end of the day, again, it comes down to the, those expectations and being really good at flushing out. What do people really want? Right. And I'll never forget one of our mentors used to say all the time, like, go into the go into meeting new potential clients with the assumption they're going to lie to you. And not necessarily on purpose. It's just subconscious, right? They're going to lie to you. So if I go into a situation where now I have the idea of what are they actually saying to me? Like their words are saying something well, they're saying something, but their words are saying something completely different. And that's where the whole language thing has really come in and really helped, right? It's like, now I hear what you're saying, but that's not what you mean, right? Write that down and let's talk about it so that we can flush that out at the very beginning before they spend a ton of time with me or a ton of money. And we're, we're on two completely different channels. Well, people have a great experience, you know, we want, we want great relationships. We want people to build and forge a community that, that takes this into the future. So everyone's on the same page. Well, that's what we want, you know, and, and if we're, if we're putting these steps in place so that we as coaches become that mentor, right? Like we're, we're, Obi-Wan Kenobi instead of the hero, right? In the hero's journey, it's this idea of, okay, if that's really the role that we believe ourselves to be in, what responsibility are we taking and how can we get so unbelievably good at those things that everyone's just always on the same page? It creates the culture, right? Just like Daniel Coyle's culture code. It's like that safety, right? We're creating that safety so people can explore and report back to us and what they find. So there is this level of communication that goes back and forth that's expected between every client and every relationship that, that we have. That's why we have this really simple journaling process that we tell all of our clients. And it, it has little to do with regular journaling. It's literally like, okay, when you woke up, how did you feel? Okay, we gave this thing for you to do. Would you feel it in your body? When you felt it in your body, like how did it make you feel? Okay, tomorrow, how'd you feel when you wake up? (laughs) It's literally simple, right? They're starting something simple. They're starting new habits. And then we talk about it. We talk about what's going on. So it's like to us, these relationships and these expectations, they're, they're everything. Because when people first come in, the norm is, okay, you're going to fix me or like, I want, I'm going to shop you and I want to find some candy. I'm going to take your candy and I'm going to run and I'm going to shop other places. Right. And that's totally fine. Right. I'm going to recognize that right away. You know, Cause I'm going to be asking questions that make people a little uncomfortable because I care. Right. It's like, how long you've been dealing with this problem? Cause I need to know. Are you on any other medications? Do you have an hour of time for this problem to talk about it? And have you seen any other people for this problem? Right? Do you actually have a budget 
so you can deal with this problem because it's not free, right? I can talk for an hour for free if we're mutually invested for this hour of time. But after that, it's like, I, this is what I do for a living. Yeah. Those that's, a, that's, a, contracts. that's a big thing. You know, it's like, you can want to help everybody, but the reality of the situation is, you know, we're in this to help people, but we're in this to make money. We're in this to provide for our families. So, you know, it's not free. Sure. And it costs money. So there's going to be some people right off the bat that are just eliminating just due to the fact that they can't afford it, you know, or they don't want to, or they don't they, value it enough. They've to told be themselves to the story it. that they can't afford right. it. Yeah. And again, like my perception of that is, has changed a lot over the years, you know, to the point where at one point I had a, I had a couple college kids that literally were paying their own way to college, but were somehow able to afford my, $125 an hour rate. Mm. Yet I got a lady that pulls up in her Mercedes wearing a $20,000 Rolex. It's like, I can't afford this. It's like, okay. You know, yeah. like I used to feel bad, right? Like, oh, you know, we can help everybody. But now it's kind of like, hey, you know, like I pay, I pay extra to have a concierge doctor, right? Because I value it. Like I don't make 500 grand a year. Right. But I value certain things in my life that I will pay for that I value. But if I don't value it, I'm not going to pay for it. It's like, I like to drink $2.80 coffee. That's stupid. That's the dumbest shit in the world. But I like it, like, because it tastes better than the shit you make yourself. Right. So I spend money on it. Just like value. Exactly. It's exactly what you value. Right. and that's a big thing. And we, it's up to us when we meet with a, to create that value because exercise in itself has been commoditized so much mm-hmm. sure. that people look at it as being the same regardless of where they go. Right. And that's not the case. Well, like, even with COVID, right? People now are under the assumption that they can do all of these things from home. Get me the Peloton, get me the mirror, get me whatever right. the thing is. But they if can you, do that all from home because it's sure. almost it's almost all choreography. Yeah. Right. So then what's the difference? It, that's that's the confusing thing for a lot of people. Because right. I mean, if people can tell me that they're personalizing like a group setting thing, that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Right. And you gotta really know your stuff to see like what you're seeing and just saying, okay, well, how does that feeling? Oh, that's feeling like that. Okay, you, I want you to switch this up here a little bit. Okay, you're doing this. Okay, change this a little here. That's value, right, in a group setting. Putting out a video where people are just doing jazzercise or doing a normal row or they're doing Pilates or they're doing yoga. I'm like, that's any type of choreography. And they've already been put, they've been put in the trap. They've been already sucked into the marketing trap of the belief that this thing will make them thinner or sexier or more flexible because if they're more flexible, they will be healthier for some reason, or they can run longer, even though it's been documented that people can, that can run really, really long, have a lot of stress hormones pumping out of them. They're actually a little bit fatter than people that are, that are doing different styles of challenges. Right. And that's, it's wild. It's absolutely, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And we're just as a industry, we don't do a very good job of debunking those things and creating value 
in and of itself, right? It's well, like, you're not paying for exercise. You're paying for my expertise to help you get where you want to be safely, right? Right. Like that's the whole, that's the whole thing is, do you want something that was built for somebody else? Or do you want something that was built for you so that you know that when you come in here, you are safe, mm. that you are going to get stronger, you are going to feel better. And somebody here is going to make sure that you don't get hurt. Yeah. That's what you're paying for. Right. Well, that's, that's one of the, you know, the issues that we've had in our local industry, especially, right. It's a race to the bottom. It's the mm-hmm. $20 a month gym membership. It's the try two weeks for free. It's the $85 a month group CrossFit memberships. And people don't understand the average consumer, right? They, like you said, they just don't understand how is this thing different? Well, they're doing this. So why aren't we doing, why, why is this, you know, $2,500 for my first three months Yeah. where over there I can do two weeks for free. And I think like to, to, to add to that, I, I really believe, you know, for the first part of our career, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money working on understanding the human body better, understanding how to load this and challenge it. We spend very little time understanding how to articulate what we do. And overall, the idea of, okay, it's our job as professionals to align ourselves and help explain ourselves in a simplistic way so that we, when people come through to us, that we give them layers layers of understanding layers that hey here's our layers of professionals here's a process that helps okay here's your journey here are the steps in your journey and we're going to take these steps and i have a process to be able to put that together and even align myself with that so that's on us as coaches and professionals to know our story know that where we fit into that story and practice that story so that when people come to us it's comfortable. It's just because com- you know what comes with with comfort, value, trust, and when we're doing these things, and I know that I'm putting myself in a sweet spot to have success with another person, and they feel comfortable. Now I got internal chemicals on my side as well, helping that person out. And when I'm like, hey, you know what? I got this journaling thing that's right on our website. Like you can go right to our homepage at body-activation.com. You click on a link and it talks about, it talks about our journaling process. And it's not like a journaling process you've ever seen before. It's so easy. All you need is like a sheet of paper next to your nightstand, right? You do that, you're already in touch with how you feel. So you're going to actually see how you feel on a daily basis and know, Hey, this day felt really good. Hey, you can feel better. That's awesome. You started to feel better. We just celebrated a win, right? There because a lot of times, you know, you, you've been around enough clients where it, it's just, it's hard for them. Like they always yeah, but to, to think about the negative, right? It's like, but I can't do this or I can't do this. And they just miss the fact that they just did something that they haven't done in a long time, but they can't see it through the fog of all the other crap they can't do. Right. You know what I mean? Well, it's so, not, I haven't done this yet, but I did right. do this, but it's not that. So it's right. not, it's not a win. It's not good enough. Like, right. It's like, yeah, hey, you're right. was you the suck. last time you did that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, hey, you're right. You suck. Yeah. Just stop. 
what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you wasting all your time? You want to do that? Come on, man. You're never exactly. going to go there. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's, been the, that's been a big thing, um, you know, when we went through the wins, you know, and understanding, like, I mean, it was hard. Like, it, it was to get started. I don't know about you, but, like, to actually get started, it was hard. And then oh, all yeah. of a sudden, like, it just started flowing, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that even with clients where it's hard for them to see it initially, but then once it becomes something that they're actually in tune to, then it's like, oh crap, like this actually went well. This actually went well. This was actually really cool. You know, it's like you have to flip that switch to start getting the process going. And once it goes, it's like, okay, now it's really going, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you see a completely different change in attitude, right? And that's a big thing. Like if you want to feel better, you got to believe you can feel better. Yeah. If you, it doesn't matter what we do, like we could be the best in the world of what we do, but if you don't believe that I'm going to be able to help you, yep, I'm not going to be able to help you regardless, uh, right? I, yeah. Yes. So there's, you know, like you talked about Active Life RX being a big key into like what you guys do. And mm-hmm. um, Greg Matt from Exercise Pro Ed had this foundational course uh, that, that we took it years ago, like 2013, branding was like 2011, maybe 2012. And there's this really huge concept that we keep going back to, which is this role versus identity, right? So when I, we normally ask somebody like what your identity is, you know, like if I asked you, like, what would you say for your identity? Typically people will respond with their occupation, right? I'm yeah. a coach, I am, uh, I'm a boyfriend, <laughs> I am a brother. I'm a 32 year old male. Yeah. 31 year old male. That's a norm. That is the norm. So that when they, when their role of the boyfriend, like I am a father or whatever goes really well, they're riding high. Hmm. And then when it sucks, they're down. And then it's good again. And then it's, so as a trainer, right, or the coach, it's like, oh, my people are doing really well. I think you're doing great. I'm riding high. I'm doing great. Making money. I'm like, my can pay my bills. And I get to get to draw a salary, get to actually feed myself, right? Yeah. And then, and then, oh, someone got hurt, man. I feel, what am I doing? Yeah. Instead of. It's all my fault. Yeah, it's all my fault, right? Instead <laughs> of like, hey, you know what? <laughs> These are, these are the cornerstones of who I am, my identity, separating my I from my R, my identity from my role, so that my roles as multiple roles can exist within an identity so that I'm pretty even keel along with the internal monologue that I have going into my sessions or going into my day. I have to check that on every hour to provide the experience to unite with another human at that point in time to meet them where they're at. Otherwise I am somewhere else wrapped up in a role, right? And my identity is compromised. Okay, my identity. Okay, I am sound mind, I'm confident, I am clear, I am focused, I will listen. I'm a listener, right? I'm an observer. I'm gonna see this stuff, I'm gonna relate to someone, here I go. Okay, I'm ready for the session. All right, I'm ready to dial into this thing. And now, now I can help meet someone they're at and deliver an experience, right? So that's on us. That's completely on it. Cause like, they don't have to worry about that. They can do whatever they want. 
it's on me to to be low and slow and go into that go into that role like okay i'm confident because i know my identity your trainer keith or whatever you want to call it muscle specialist keith or coach keith i don't care right it's like the person that's going to help this other human they're ready that's some high level shit gangster shit that's some gangster shit (laughs) I imagine that is a, that's a mic drop moment. That's a perfect place for us to wrap this conversation for today, fellas. Cool. Um, man. We, we where appreciate can, you having us. Yeah, absolutely. Where can guys, or where can people rather keep up with you guys? Where can they learn more about you? Body-activation.com. You can check out our website. Um, it's uh, in the process of kind of getting more, even more streamlined, but we've really taken it down. Um, so there's there's one real direction to go with it at yeah. this point. Yeah, if you ever want to talk to us directly, um, you can uh, Instagram message, message us um, on our website. We also have uh, email links if you want to talk about uh, virtual training as far as consults that way. If there are higher level issues that you want to go through, you can talk to us. We can do consults as well. And we also have right on our homepage, we have that journaling process. You just basically click on the button. It shoots you right to the journaling. It's completely free. You don't even have to put an email address in. And if you want to say thank you, right, to say like, hey, this is some really cool stuff, email us at the bottom. We don't even have a newsletter. All we do is eventually send stuff out to people every once in a while saying how they're doing, right? So literally we have that completely free on our website. Our, our, our easy to do journaling process right on our homepage. Awesome. Keith, Brandon, I appreciate you guys so very much for what you're putting out into the, uh, into the fitness space. And I appreciate you guys for your time today. Thank yeah, you. And, Thank and, you. And us, you, man. Same Absolutely. to you. Fortitude, we will see you guys at the gym.